this week we're going to start a brand new series and we're calling it Tightening the Knot. And um, as you guys know, we're here meeting in the Performing Arts Center and we've got a couple more weeks of Greece behind us, right? Uh, because they're doing Mamma Mia and I think it just started like this past weekend. So, and we love the Performing Arts Center. We're grateful for them. If you ever see a show that you want to participate in, like, like come be a fan of them because we love them. They love us. It's just a great relationship. So uh, make sure that you're participating in that. But we're going to start this new series this week, and it's called Tighten the Knot. Tighten the Knot. One of the keys of the mission or, or to the mission of our church is that we want to grow strong families. And so we want to do a four-week series here about having stronger marriages. What does that look like? And a quick caveat, if you're in the room today and uh, maybe you're like, man, okay, marriage series, great. I'm going to check out for the next four weeks and uh, then I'll just kind of come back afterwards. Don't do that because the things that we're going to talk about can be applied to any relationship in your life. And if you're looking for a spouse, or maybe one day you will be looking for a spouse, we'll see some things in God's Word that will help you sort out the good candidates from the bad ones. And so this series is going to be really exciting. It should be really, really practical, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, tighten the knot. In 1966, John Lennon, uh, who was the leader of the Beatles at that time, uh, he said that his band was more popular than Jesus. Now, while we would disagree with that statement, he had another statement in 67 that maybe we could agree with or maybe not. That, that year, the Beatles came out with a new single, and it was entitled, All You Need Is Love. How many of you guys have ever heard that song? All You Need Is Love. Super popular song, but can it really be true? Is love really all that you need? Is love all that you need to have a happy marriage? Is love all that you need to have a happy life? Is love all that you need to, to have all your problems go away and you and your spouse just, you know, skip through the daisies holding hands with each other for till happily ever after? Is that really all you need is just love? Some of us are like, well, no, that's not it. You know, we need all, all kind of other things. We need money. We need a place to live. We need a whatever, whatever. But today we're going to look at what love actually is and can love be that powerful in our lives. 1 Corinthians 13 is called the chapter of love. And if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there today. 1 Corinthians 13. And I've done several, several weddings. Uh, oh man, it's been, I can't even count them tons of weddings and almost every time we read out of this first corinthians 13 about what love is it shows a model of what human love looks like and i read this portion almost every wedding that i officiate and it says this uh it says first corinthians 13 5 through 8 a and then we're going to skip down to verse 13 because i want to show you that we're really picking pieces out of this first corinthians 13 love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Skip down to verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
As we look at Paul's explanation of love, we see that his teaching isn't just coming out of nowhere. We've, we've studied uh, letters that Paul has written before, and this is in 1 Corinthians. This is another letter that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And here he's addressing divisions in the church. He's addressing all kinds of things that are happening inside this church that are just, I mean, the whole thing's just kind of a hot mess, right? How many of you guys know people that are a hot mess, right? How many of you guys yourselves are a hot mess, right? So, so Paul is addressing a church that is a hot mess. And, and there's all kinds of things that he has to talk about. He talks about divisions in the church. People liking one pastor over another. I like, uh, I like Joel Osteen. Well, I like Rick Warren. Well, I like John MacArthur. Well, I like, I'm glad that, that the stuff that Paul was talking about still doesn't go on today. It does. So uh, Paul's still writing this about to that church. He addresses sexual immorality. He addresses, he tells us how to do communion. When we take communion here, we actually read out of 1 Corinthians, um, the, the, the book that Paul wrote. And he tells us uh, about the purpose and the power of spiritual gifts. And right after that, he gives us this talk on the purpose uh, and power of love. Let's read that last part of 1 Corinthians 12. Just right before Paul goes into this whole passage about love, this love chapter, what is Paul saying right before then? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20, uh, 27 through 31. Now, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administrative and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, do all, the, do, does everyone do those things? No, they don't. But then he says this, but earnestly desire the higher things, and then he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now at this point, we have a period at the end of the chapter, but as we've studied, it, it's not like Paul was like Forrest Gump and saying, well, that's all I have to say about that. You know, and it's just done, and then he moves on to the next topic. No, this is like a letter that Paul's writing where one thing has to do with the next, that has to do with the next, that has to do with the next. And so Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, and he's talking about how the body of Christ is made up of individual members, but they're all coming together in one body, and there's these gifts. And then he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. What is this more excellent way that he's speaking of? In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I, have the pro if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In the church, we talk about spiritual gifts. We talk about prophecy, we talk about faith, we talk about miracles, we talk about all these things in the church. And some of you guys are from backgrounds to where you talk about it more than others, and some of you guys are from backgrounds in churches where this is all you talk about is spiritual gifts. But to Paul, the greatest spiritual gift is love. 
But most of us today, we don't see love as a spiritual gift because we've conditioned ourselves in our culture. Our culture has conditioned us to think that love is like this ooey gooey rainbows and unicorns feeling, you know, like I said, skipping through the field, holding hands, you know, listen to, I don't know, Jack Johnson or whatever it is that you like to listen to when, when you're in love and these little love songs. And, and so it's just like this feeling and we've made it about feelings. But, and if that's the case, then what is love except just some love? lust and hormones we've used the term we fell in love even like it's just something we're walking around one day minding our own business and bam you just fell in love with someone is that really how it happens is that really how it happens no it's not you we 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 don't there's not a thing of like just falling in love and living happily ever after if we're going to commit to marriage then we have to understand what love is and really for most of us we got to get a better definition of love we got to get a better definition of it we got to understand that it's just so much more than a love song on the radio or or the end of a your favorite movie or, or happily ever after it's so much more than that Here's the truth about relationships. Whatever it costs you to get something, it will cost you at least that to keep it. And so if you can quickly and easily fall into love, you can quickly and easily fall out of love. If love is that cheap, then it's going to be easy to lose. But if love is something that is deeper, that's inside of you, that's part of you, that's, that, that has sacrifice involved, if love is deeper than that, then it's really, really difficult to lose because there's value in it. Love has to be more than that. The biblical view of love is far deeper than our culture sees it. Our culture is selling the short. John 15 verse 12 says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than someone who lays down, or than someone lay down his life for his friends. For Jesus, love was not a way for, for my own needs to be met. Love was an invitation to die. To see the other person was to see what they need most and to lay down my life to give that to them. That's what love was. It wasn't about what I need. It wasn't about me being in love. It wasn't about this gooey feeling that I have inside of me. It was seeing the deepest need in someone else and me taking responsibility to fill that. And he didn't just, show, just tell us this. He showed us this. We needed our sins dealt with and Jesus laid down his life for that to happen. And the Bible frames humanity as hopelessly lost in our sin. We didn't have a way out. We didn't even know that we needed a savior, many of us. And, and Jesus came came and he made this ultimate sacrifice, this ultimate act of love of laying down his life so that we could be made right by him. And, it, and, and so in, in the, the biblical sense, love isn't this ooey gooey feeling. It's looking at your partner, finding the deepest need that they have and taking responsibility on yourself to fill it. Sometimes my wife needs me to do some chores around the house, fill it. Sometimes she needs me to engage with the, the kids more, discipline them, fill it. Sometimes she needs a pep talk, fill it. Sometimes she needs me just to shut up and listen, fill it. Whatever the need is, I'm looking for those needs and I'm filling them. That is what love is. It's laying down your own life for the sake of the needs of the person that you love. That's what it is. And so many of us, we just feel like, man, it's about what I feel and about what I need and about what it, and we make it about us, but, but when we do that, we've lost the point. 
A quick way to see if a marriage is in trouble is to find out if one party or both parties are demanding that their own needs be met. Because we're supposed to lay down our lives for each other. Once it's about my needs and no longer her needs, I'm no longer operating out of love. It's something different. It's something different. Wait, some of us say, well, well, if I do that, if I live like that, if I actually just, you know, no longer make it about me and I make it about them, then what happens? Like, well, is it it now, like, how are my needs going to get met? If I'm, if I'm just, if I don't worry and if I don't demand that my needs are met and if I don't demand that things happen for me and if I don't demand my own way, then how is my needs going to get met in the relationship? And now we discover why love is a spiritual gift. You cannot expect your spouse to provide things that God was meant to provide in your life. You cannot expect your spouse to provide things that God was meant to provide in your life. Peace, comfort, hope, purpose, real security, a reason for existence. If I want my spouse to provide these things for me I'm, that I need to be going to God for, I'm going to set my marriage up for failure. We read it last week in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. Only God can give me the things that only God can give me. That's like the most circular statement that I'm ever going to say, but it's the truth. And some of us, we, we know that to be true. We know it in our heads. We think it in our hearts, but we don't actually live it out. Only God can give me the things that only God can give me. For Philippians uh, 4.19 says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. So if only God can give me the things that only God can give me, and Philippians says that God will supply every need, then guess who's responsible for supplying my needs? Is it my spouse? Because when we get in an argument, typically it's about you are not doing what I want you to do. You are not doing what I need you to do. You are not, you're not, you're not meeting me where I need you to meet me. And so I'm expecting a need of them. And really, in reality, uh, the, 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 all my needs really should be met by God. So if God is responsible for all my needs, then I should go to him for whatever I need. If God is responsible for all my needs, I should go to him for whatever I need. And so if something is happening and my, my, my spouse now is not leaning into the relationship or my spouse is not doing things in a healthy way and, and I've tried to encourage them and challenge them and talk to them and love them and I've tried to do these things uh, for them but they're still not there, then guess who I can go to to help meet my need of getting my spouse in a better spot? Take it to God. I take it to God because God can supply those needs. But on the flip side, if God is responsible for all the needs of my spouse, when I lay down my life to fill her needs, what is happening? I'm now partnering with God to fulfill the needs of my wife. Ladies, to fulfill the needs of my husband. And so some of us, we, 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 we get upset and we, we, we've lost marriages and we, we've lost relationships and we're sleeping in different bedrooms and we're no longer talking to each other and we're doing all these things because we're trying to get this person to meet our needs, but really God is the one who is meant to meet the need. And when you work at it and when you get healthy, now I partner with God to meet the needs of my wife. Do you guys see what I'm saying? 
Does that make sense? So God is the one who supplies it. I partner with God to meet their needs. This is why when we argue over our needs being met, it's really hard to feel God's presence in the moment. No one is standing up and saying, God, I'm going to partner with you here for them. And this is why love is a spiritual gift. Galatians 5 verse 16 says this, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What causes conflict in marriage? He just gave us a really good list. He just gave us a really good list. And some of you guys are like, well, I'm not sexually immoral, but do you have strife? Well, I don't do sorcery. Well, are you jealous? Well, I, 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 I don't have idolatry. Do you have fits of anger? See, so many of us, we, we approach our marriage from, a, from a, the context of our own flesh and we, we, we expect it to be like this nice and rosy thing. But what Paul is saying is like, guys, don't, don't trust your flesh. Like love, the love that you need, the love that you need to make this happen. This is a spiritual gift. This comes from acting under the spirit of God's leadership, not acting under the leadership of your own flesh. And then he says this, um, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The love I need for a healthy marriage does not come from a life that's submitted to my own needs and desires. Rather, it comes from a life that is submitted to God. When I submit my life to God, I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Then I'll experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's when that happens. So John Lennon was probably right. All you need is love. The problem is that we've got a really bad definition of it. We've got a bad definition of it. Love is the kind of love that lays down one's life for the needs of their friend, for the needs of the person that they're their companion, for the needs of the, those who are closest to them. And love only comes from the Spirit. Love only comes from a life that's submitted to God. And so if you're trying to work on your marriage and you're trying to do things in your marriage, but you're separating that from your relationship with God, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for failure. First John chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love of God has made manifest in us that God sent his only son into the world. Again, Jesus is our example so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. What that word just means is that he, he paid the price for it. 
Beloved, if God loves, uh, so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God, but you know how we see God? We see God in the love that we have for one another. Love is so much deeper than the ooey gooey. Love is a spiritual gift. And, and today, that, that's what we have to get at home. We have, to, we have to understand that when I love my spouse like God loves me, by laying my life down, by laying my needs down, by laying my wants down, by laying the things that anger me down, by dying to my own self, when I love God like God loves me, I'm inviting him into whatever situation that we're in. It says so here that God's love abides in us. It lives in us and his love is perfected in us. Isn't that the kind of marriage that you want to have? Isn't that the kind of relationships that you want to have where God's love is active inside of you? God's love is active in what you're doing. And that only comes from laying down your own life. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says this. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has, an, an, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand with him. A threefold cord may not quickly may is not quickly broken wait the, the the writer here he was talking about one then he was talking about two then all of a sudden he switches to three by laying down my own needs by partnering for the needs of my spouse i'm partnering with god and so now it, this is not just me and her it's me and her and god i'm inviting his presence into the, his situation and with his presence comes wisdom to conquer whatever it is that we face A couple of years ago, um, as many, many years ago, it was right after Liz and I first got married, um, I remember driving, um, there was this road in, in the town that we lived in, this kind of back road, woods on both sides of the roads, and I was driving, and Liz, I think she was at home, and um, we were having an argument, I don't even remember what the argument was about, it's probably about money, like we, we argued about money a lot, as young couples do. Any other young couples argued about money? Yeah, when you were young? Okay, yeah, not, not alone great um and so we were uh we were arguing about um money i think and um i remember like having like all of a sudden like we just couldn't get on the same page and i was getting more and more upset and i could tell she was getting more and more upset and i felt like in my spirit i felt like all of a sudden this fear and we just finished this series on fear and we talked about how it wasn't from god and in, in this fear, like, I felt like, like I was, we were approaching a point in our relationship in this argument where there was, like, no coming back from it, right? You guys ever had an argument like that? We're like, dude, this is getting so heated, and we're so dug in, and we're not going to be able to figure out this issue on our own. And, and it's just going to be so difficult that we're not going to get on the other side of it. And I remember feeling like, man, I am, I am driving as fast as I can towards the edge of a cliff and there's no turning back once I hit that and I don't know where that line is and I remember just feeling like this fear about it 
And so um, what you're supposed to do when you argue with someone in a healthy way, because arguments can be healthy, what you're supposed to do is you're actually supposed to listen to them and you're actually supposed to hear what they're saying and, and kind of say, okay, well, that's a good point. You're making a good point. Let me take that point in because that's something I didn't hear or I didn't think of before. That's what you're supposed to do, right? That's not what I was doing in the, at the time because I was afraid. And so I, I literally just, like, just, she was talking, and I was supposed to be listening and wasn't listening. I, I just started kind of praying on my own. I'm like, God, like, I, I'm, I'm scared right now. Like, I'm scared, like, this is, this is, this is bad. And all of a sudden, it's like God spoke to me. It wasn't audible or anything like that, but he just said, listen, the two of you, the two of you are letting this issue drive you apart. And what I've designed you for is for the two of you to come together and face the issue. And so many times, it could be your kids, it could be your finances, it could be whatever. So many times an issue arises and that issue can be either used by the devil to put a wedge between you and your spouse and make it, make it now this issue's here and now it's me versus her. But really what it's supposed to be is supposed to be me and her versus the issue. And God spoke to me, I mean, it was like, Jeff, you, you've got to, whatever you do, you've got to get on her team now. And so I, we're going to talk about this later on in the series. I learned how to apologize for something that I thought I was right in. I thought I was right in that argument. I thought, I mean, I was like, dude, I am right here. This is like, like just, I'm right. I know I'm right. I know I'm right. But I apologized and I got on her side because where I was wrong was that I was not meeting her needs as a husband. It wasn't about, it was about me being right at that point. And for so many of us, we approach life like that. We approach our relationships like that. When issues come, and get ready, they will, the temptation is that it's going to split us apart. And we start going at each other. But Ecclesiastes shows us that when we come together, we stop fighting each other. And we're not just fighting as two now. We're fighting with God's presence. So now it's three people fighting against the issue, inviting his presence into our lives. And some of our marriages are facing real issues. But the love that it will take to conquer them isn't going to be returning to the teenage giggles that you started with. It's not returning to the ooey-gooey notebook style movies or the the ooey-gooey skipping through the field holding hands. It's not returning to that feeling. Some of us are chasing a feeling that might not ever come back. But what can come back is me saying, you know what, I'm going to get a better def- definition of love. Instead of, instead of making it about me, I'm going to tighten the knot and I'm going to lay down my life for this other person. And when you do that, when you learn how to do that, you're going to get on the other side of whatever issue it is that you face. You're going to get on the other side because now it's not just your way of thinking. It's not just her way of thinking. We're inviting God's presence into the situation. And so we're letting his presence address it. The issues that you face could be sent by God to bring you together more often than sent by the devil to drive you apart. It's really your choice. What kind of love are you going to have? Do you need a better definition of love? Do you need it? It's not the ooey-gooey. It's not, it's not the, the, the latest movie. It's not the latest romantic comedy. It's not what you see on TV. It's not, it's not the song that you hear on the radio. It's not that. The, the 
kind of love that we're talking about is the kind that says, I love them so much that I will lay down my needs, my desires, my wants, my fears, my anger, my pride, my past. I will lay that down so that I can partner with God to meet their needs.